Why would you look outside yourself when you have all of the world inside? One, two, three, four. This is the Prying Priest Podcast, and I'm Father Yuri Hladio. You're listening to the first half of an unedited interview about the personal stories of amazing people and why they have come to believe what they do. For the second half of these interviews, you can become a patron of the show at patreon.com slash pryingpriest. But for now, enjoy the show. So, Justin, I've been working on converting you for, like, 15 years. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, you're one of the more stubborn people that I've ever met in my entire life. You know, it's so funny that 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 that's true. And your dad has, your mom has, like, your whole Orthodox family. Uh, Father Greg has been working on me. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there's all At kinds of... At least people care, you know? Yeah, and it's funny that it's all, like, particularly there's this, like, Orthodox vein in my life that... Uh, Runs deep, mm-hmm. uh, which is funny. Uh, I never would have expected that. I don't think a lot of people of in I don't think a lot of people in North America are exposed to orthodoxy at all. And uh yeah. Like I mean, to be totally honest, I think people in the West are barely exposed to the Catholic Church. Never mind the 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 Orthodox Church, like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the Orth- <laughs> which is hilarious. Uh, well, or I, rather, they're exposed by caricature. Right, like when I, when I was when I when I worked at YFC uh, Youth for Christ in Winnipeg, so I, I I'm an Orthodox guy working in an evangelical Christian organization, and most of my job was like defending the Catholics for the Catholics <laughs> because there was so much like misinformation and lies yeah. and myths and everything, and, I, and I'd be like, well, you know, that's not actually what they believe, right? And and just to be clear, that's not what I believe either, but yeah. I'm just saying that's not yeah. what they believe. But so I'm going to stand up for them. I have a great story, actually, that maybe, especially if your listeners are Orthodox, they'll find funny, yeah. uh, because uh, so many people, like I went to Bible college and studied religion, and I have a, a, a degree in biblical studies, and... So many, I talked about orthodoxy so much, uh, that people thought I was orthodox. Yeah. At university. And, and I also brought people to orthodox churches and I'm pretty sure that I'm responsible for several people becoming orthodox, including Max Harwood, uh, and, uh, and Garrett Menga is one of my, my mentor people, uh, who's living in California right now is literally just became baptized orthodox. And, wow. uh, and as marrying, marrying an Orthodox girl. It's all uh, you, Justin. You, you made this happen. Well, there, I mean, I'm not, obviously, obviously it's God and the spirit. And I, and even though I'm not Orthodox, I, I praise God that those people are finding love and meaning and in the Orthodox church. I'm very grateful. Um, maybe what's funny is, is we should probably tell your listeners about there's this really funky. No, no. Okay. I'll give a bit of my history, I guess. That's because this is about me, right? This whole thing. This is total. This is your time. This is your time. Um, so for the listener, like I'm, so I'm a Mennonite, uh, not horse and buggy Mennonite, but, uh, like city Mennonite. Uh, we would call people who are horse and buggies, either old order Mennonite, or you, you might be thinking about Quakers or the Amish or other communities that are Anabaptist related um i'm not i can't fully recall the histories of the amish and the quaker movements so forgive me on that um but yeah so so they're in particular in winnipeg and uh ontario and lots of places in canada actually have really big mennonite populations as part of the kind of 
uh, Protestant semi-evangelical landscape. Very to varying degrees. Uh, like evangelical is such a weird word now. Uh, mm-hmm. Evangelical. I by uh, like just for clarification, I'll use evangelical. I'll be clear. Usually, I will mean it in terms of uh, like the evangelical church in North America. But if I mean evangelical in like doing evangelism sense, I'll say something like that. Gotcha. Um, and uh, yeah, so I I grew up in that tradition, and the Mennonite tradition is very much one of uh, radicalness in in that in the actual definition and like etymology of that word, which means rootedness. Um, to the roots is the is the is the etymology of that word. Um, and that tradition comes out of a desire or, or, you know, the radical reformation movement, uh, mm-hmm. which is they looked at the reformations of Luther during the reformation and were like, no, dude, you're not, you don't get it. <laughs> you're not going deep enough. You're, yeah. you're doing a couple surface level reformations and you're not, you're not getting back to the first century church in acts. And that's right, like, like, like Luther would be dealing with the symptoms as opposed to the actual root cause of the issues. Right. That's what, yeah, that's what we would say as Adam, mm-hmm. as rebaptizers, as, as radical reformers. Um, yeah. So you would look at, so they looked at what Luther was doing and was like, yeah, actually like instead of doing what you're doing, we think we should go and we should become like the church in acts. Uh, this was especially happening because they were getting their hands on the German translation of the new Testament. Um, and, uh, so they were like, let's live in common, let's embrace nonviolence, let's, uh, like do all of these kind of more radical lifestyle things that the church was doing. And one of those things, uh, was, is believers baptism, um, Mm -hmm. which for them was particularly reactionary because I, uh, if I understand it right, baptism and citizenship were directly related yeah in certain areas for sure yeah so you you particularly in the areas that they were (laughs) yeah um and so to be a citizen of the country was to be baptized and that conflation of those ideas they found abhorrent right Mm -hmm. because that's i and i I would agree with that uh Mm -hmm. i think that the like yeah your national identity is sec completely and utterly secondary to your loyalty to the kingdom of god or Mm -hmm. should be um in fact, so secondary that one might might want to question what having it at all. Um, Justin, don't you just love <laughs> when Constantine came and he established <laughs> the kingdom of God on Earth in the three hundreds? Oof, yeah. I mean, I was wondering whether we would talk about Constantine today or of not. Of course, we're going to talk about Constantine. Oh boy. Um, so yeah, Saint so, on, Constantine. So, so here's the question: Are we going to talk like on this level, like about like our traditions and stuff? Is that what you want to talk about today, or sure. do you want to do like? Hey, it's your time, so. Because a lot of the questions you sent me are more about me personally, right? Oh, yeah. It's going to get personal. But okay. this is your time. Whatever you want to talk about. Sure, or, man. Let's just take the conversation yeah, yeah, where yeah. it goes. Um, maybe. I feel like Const- I feel like it's early to get into Constantine. Okay. Let's leave Constantine but, behind. Um, let's skip ahead a couple <laughs> centuries. Well, no. Let's. I mean, you brought it up. Let's just get into it, man. Um, honestly, uh, the reason I say that is because that, that's already bringing us into the prop, some of the problems I personally have with the Orthodox church. And I'd rather start with all the things I love about the Orthodox church. Does that make sense? Mm. Maybe yeah. let's do it that way. Okay. Well, you were getting into a bit of your own story, I think there in terms of your Mennonite yeah. background and everything. So one of the things that was so fat, like, and, and I don't know if you, th- if you know how I think of these memories, but I would say that. Your relationship to me 
uh, the faith of your, your faith, the faith of the Orthodox church, the faith of your father and your mother, I would say were, uh, salvific for me. Um, that God used your faiths and the tradition that you come from to, uh, show me a de- to show me Christ himself. Um, and I'll unpack that a little bit, uh, cause that's, that's a very kind of maybe grandiose thing, but, uh, I, so, so being a Mennonite, I saw, like, we have a very, uh, probably Mennonites might be uncomfortable with this characterization, but we actually have a quite strong tradition of the saints and remembering the saints. Uh, we have a book called The Martyr's Mirror, uh, which I remember, uh, having on the kid, the, the coffee table. It was, it was there and it was read from, and my grandfather read it to me, uh, stories of, of people of faith who believed so much in this radical reformation that they, they died, they were persecuted, they were burnt at the stake, many deaths uh, for the sake of this faith. And I saw these radical young people who were passionate about Jesus and they were passionate about loving their enemies and about living in the kingdom. And like, they were so pumped that they were, they were like gung ho to die for this cause. And that was super convicting to, to young Justin. Um, and it was, it was so hard for me to be standing in that tradition and see what the modern Mennonite church was like. Because in many cases, and I won't speak generally here. I'll speak specifically for me in the specific church that I was being a part of. Um, that was not what I was seeing. I was seeing people moving away from that kind of radical commitment to the, both the Anabaptist tradition and to that kind of more radical lifestyle that, uh, these, these saints, these martyrs, uh, were showing. And I saw people looking more and more like just kind of generic evangelical conservative fundamentalist type stuff. Like that's what I was seeing. Um, and so there was this crazy disconnect for me of, wait, like, aren't we, aren't we Mennonites? And aren't we like, isn't this our tradition? Um, and I think that that disconnect was so big that I could not see Christ in those communities, like, or maybe a better way of putting it. And part of this was being young, but like, I could not see I was not experiencing the life, the full life of Christ in those communities. And I wasn't seeing modeled for me that radical um, following of Jesus that I expected. Um, and that was leading me down a path of atheism, right? That like, if there aren't people who are actually doing this thing, then whatever this thing is, uh, like whatever I'm seeing, not the ideal, but whatever I'm seeing here, this church and these people and their beliefs have to be uh, either wrong or deluded or just disconnected. So it's not worth believing in. Um, and at about that time, uh, that's when you came into my life and we started hanging out. 
And what's your first memory of me, by the way? You have, you've been listening very well. What's the, what's the first thing you remember of us hanging out together? Of us hanging out together or my first memory of you? Uh, both, either. What do you so, say? What comes so to mind? Me, me and my friend Daniel Dirksen were in the same like homeroom group and during chapel, because we went to Good Mennonite High School, uh, during every six days or so there was chapel. So basically some people playing songs, a little message from like the school's pastor and maybe some other activity. And you played in one of the worship bands and you were drumming in it. And Dirksen, my friend Daniel Dirksen, is a drummer and I am a drummer, or at least we were aspiring drummers at the time. And we always noticed that you never really hit the toms at all. So my first impression of you was a basic beat with no toms. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But then we were in band together and then you would just try and hit me while I'm trying to do my snare drum rolls and everything and screw yep. me up. And then the next thing I knew, you were just inviting me over to your house. So then we would like hang out and I'd go over to your house. Um, yeah, man. Yeah. And before you knew it, best friends. That's the perfect story of like ju- what, what it meant to be, for me at least, for what it meant to be like juvenile boys. Yeah. Like, like you, you, it, you like somebody. <laughs> so what you do is you hit them. You just kind of bug them and then you become friends. Like, yeah. That's yeah. actually literally our story, which I find super cute. Yeah. It was great. Um, yeah, so so Yuri stumbled into my life. You were going to a Mennonite high school as the only Orthodox or only, basically only non. So so a, a, bit, a bit about like my story here was th- so that I, I came to Winnipeg. I moved from Hamilton, Ontario to Winnipeg between the 10th and the 11th grade. Right. Yeah. And I did not want to move to Winnipeg at all costs, but we had to move to Winnipeg. And I held on for dear life to anything that I could claim as like part of my identity and and the two of those big things were orthodox christianity and the hamilton tiger cats canadian football league team yeah i remember i remember you being in hamilton tiger cats gear like almost every single day at school so that was those were my two religions you know and and so when i was the one orthodox kid at this mennonite school I just naturally fit into this, I'm going to argue and prove you all wrong, you know, (laughs) cocky grade 11 boy who knows everything about religion persona. Yeah. So that's what stumbled into your life. I'll I'll challenge you a bit on that. I don't think you were ever that cocky. I think you were, I think you were confrontational, but I don't think you ever, uh, okay, maybe a little cocky, but not, (laughs) but not like, not as bad as you made it sound there. Um, but it it was it was awesome. It was refreshing. It it was an experience of engaging with uh it was it was the first time for me that I had to engage with Christian faith while and take your faith seriously. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like in a lived way, we were friends and I would go over to your house and there was a giant wall of icons and I'd be like, "What the heck is that?" Mm-hmm. Are you guys worse? Are you guys like, do you guys do idolatry over here? Right. Um, which I'm sure is funny to your Orthodox listeners. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like we, so, so I, I like obvious, it was obvious to me that you and your father and your mother and your brother and your family were people of faith. That was obvious and undoubt, un, unarguable, right? Um, 
And so for me, I had to do all this, this over time as we were friends, my, I had to do all these gymnastics of like, okay, well, like are icons really that bad? Uh, are, you know, okay, well the saints sound an awful lot like the martyr's mirror. Uh, you know, okay. Incense. I can get on with that. We like candles in our church a lot, right? Like, and so on and so on. And it was just like, it really, it was empathy more than anything else. Right. Like just like that experience of like actually having to be like, what's it like to be a Christian for these people who think of things differently than me? Um, yeah. And, and, uh, my bold claim of you being salvific was that, uh, in in engaging with your tradition and going to services and having conversations with you and your dad in reading orthodox literature um i i still have your book how are we saved by the way i still have that i that's a book i gave you yeah it's uh, a book on orthodox salvation in the orthodox church who i believe who wrote um, it actually let me look at this i think it's um oh, he's like a newer saint that people like to talk about. Am I going to look this up? Are you looking it up? Uh, I'll look it up real quick. How are we saved? Oh, Callistos where? There you go. Yeah, so he's not a, he's not a, he's, he's not, I mean, maybe he's a living saint, but he's alive right now. Oh, as far okay. as I, at I least by the time of this recording. See, that's where I, I, uh, I, I get confused is that it sounds like, um, or, or for some reason I had this, I have this thing in my head that people are like, think of him as saintly for mm-hmm. whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not very super familiar with him as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I was engaging with those kinds of literature. I was engaging with the with your tradition, and uh, I, I I like the term that you have used for me before, which is that I'm an orthophile, which I like a lot. Which is that I'm, I'm a lover of the Orthodox Church, right? Which is I think is very true. I, I hold right. a lot of warm feelings and a lot of uh, like sweet memories of the Orthodox church and its symbols and its rituals. Um, I remember the Easter vigil. You've uh, been to a few of those, haven't you? I actually have. Yeah. I've been through to a couple where we do all night scripture reading and sleep in the back oh, of that's the on church. Good, good, good Friday night. Yeah. yeah we used yeah. to do that at uh, St. Andrew's college chapel in, in Winnipeg. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, that was a fun experience too, because it was the same thing where people would talk to me at the college like I was Orthodox, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I actually don't know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, don't yeah. take communion here, so sorry. Yeah. 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 Um and yeah, I I I think well, I mean, I don't know. You can ask I the think, question that's coming yeah, right I, up here if you want. Well, I, I can ask a lot of different questions here. Um I, I think one of the one of the ways that we get into conflict. So we've had, we've had lots of arguments, sure. right? Yeah. Um, me, me sharing or you sharing does not always mean that we're sitting pretty over a cup of tea, having a nice discussion. <laughs> like sure. this could lead to arguments and, okay, let me go away for a few days and you know, I'll come back and see what, see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that you have a tendency, you have a much more radical reforming tendency than I do. Right. Um, yeah, probably. 
so so even in issues of like politics or of religion mm-hmm. you tend to be like let's tear this thing down man let's just let's figure this out from scratch let's you know yeah i don't know you have you have more of this uh, uh appreciation or uh that sort of courageous heart to to go into that unknown space whereas i think yeah. that i have much more of a um maybe like a conservative way of thinking. Mm. And so I think that that is where we get into tension a lot, but how much of that, if, if I have assessed you correctly in your own mind, how much of that radical reforming kind of attitude do you think comes from your actual tradition that you grew up in? Well, yeah, I mean, I, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't allocate it directly to that, but I think that definitely is part of it, right? Like I mentioned that like, my experience of reading the martyr's mirror, which includes lots of stories of saints. They just don't like talking about that. Mm-hmm. Um, they, there's Justin martyrs in there, for example. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. John Chrysostom is in there. Yeah. But they're like, yeah, those guys basically just radical reformers. Um, which I mean, John Chrysostom, man, uh, he did a quite a bit of reforming in his day. He was, uh, he was, a a very fun figure. He's pretty radical. You want one might say, um, So, I mean, I mean, like, I think that it's definitely influenced by that, but I think it's, um, yeah, like I I would say both orthodoxy and like Mennonite faith for me, both of them are rooted faiths. Both are rooted in the tradition of the first century church of the church of acts. That's what I see. Um, they might express it differently and they may have different baggage that comes from that and from their experiences. But the reason that I'm attracted to both of those traditions is I see connectedness to, to the, the status quo challenging nature of the gospel that Jesus preaches. Um, cause I, I think there's no way of arguing that Jesus wasn't a radical dude who was challenging status quo, challenging established religion, challenging uh, politics, economics, you know, all of the things of his day he challenged. Um, so like I, I one of, and one of the reasons that orthodoxy was so attractive to me is that ascetic, like asceticism within the orthodox tradition is alive and well. And that's something that we've lost. Um, even though that I, and I think asceticism is, one expression of radical reform in a way that like it may be very subdued and it may and and it its purpose is a sort of um it is less about taking on the structures of the world and more about taking on the structures within myself right it it is it is a radical reformation but it is a radical reformation of my soul and uh so it it gets it's it's the same to me those are the those are the same pieces of the mm-hmm, same mm-hmm. coin to, so we we went to a monastery back in oh nine or i think so. it was oh nine or oh ten ten <coughs> it was on our it was on our big road trip and yeah. uh so that was i think the first time we went to two monasteries that's right. Uh, on on like a road trip. Actually, this wasn't a road trip. We flew to Toronto and drove down to the yeah. monasteries because yeah, it was right. in February. Mm-hmm. So the first monastery was Dormition Monastery in 
Rives Junction, Michigan, yep. which is a woman's Romanian monastery. Which was awesome. We, I love that place. And then we also went to... Were, but. And then we went to uh, St. Gregory Palamas Monastery in Hayesville, Ohio. That's right. Which is a men's Greek monastery. And uh, I'm interested in hearing your take again on both. If I remember correctly, you, in, you enjoyed the women's monastery more than the men's monastery? Or was it the opposite? Uh, I enjoyed both, but I would say definitely the women's monastery was uh, just a different, a very different experience. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no uh, 3 a.m. service. So that was a big, yeah. that was a big bonus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I, yeah, both have left me with like long lasting effects. Uh, so like the women's monastery was fantastic because I experienced like such a level of charity and hospitality and warmth of character. Like the people there were so willing to talk to me and willing to engage with me and willing and like, willing to be these these like asking questions about me why am i there like just like a more mm-hmm. a much more sweet and solemn like like loving embrace do you remember when father roman braga came came out after dinner and we were standing outside and he came out a little late and he was going back to his cell but he he, he walks out and he looks at us and he has a little chocolate in his hands yeah that he's like half sneaking out and and he looks at us and goes I have a sweet tooth <laughs> and then like walks away. <laughs> I, I, and I remember he had a thick accent. Did he not? I have a yeah, sweet tooth. So father Roman was a, <laughs> a Rom- Romanian priest who lived through communist um, <clears throat> Romania, spent a long time in um, solitary confinement and all that kind of stuff. Um, he's considered, he's passed away for a few years now, but he's considered a saintly man to yeah. the point that some people are already painting icons of him. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's funny that like my memory of him is him with a chocolate saying that he has a sweet tooth. I have a sweet tooth. I have a sweet tooth. <laughs> <laughs> and like this like ch- childlike kind of like scuttle away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, yeah, but like that's that's like the that was the character. And then the the men's monastery was much was much more solemn and serious. It felt so I'm just, in I'm the, just in describing the my experience, right? I'm not saying their yeah. own whatever. In, in, in the men's monastery, in the refectory where you eat the food and, and the kitchen, there's a sign that's, it, I think I'm paraphrasing, but it's pretty accurate where it says like, work, pray, silence. <laughs> right? Yeah. So it just has a different attitude there. Yeah. And I, and I appreciated that. I, I have a very vivid memory of, I believe it was a feast day when we were there. And so we were drinking wine and, but in silence. <laughs> Do you remember that we <laughs> were drinking strange. wine when we shouldn't have been? Do you remember that? Uh, no, I don't. Uh, okay, what so, is that again? So, so you not being Orthodox probably didn't pick up on this. But for me, I had forgotten one of these like monastery. They have this monastery rule that when you sit down to eat, you sit and you start eating, but you do not pour a, a drink for yourself until the abbot like rings a little bell. And then you can pour a drink for yourself. Right. So even your, even what you consume, like in this monk monastery way is very controlled and, um, uh, uh, it's all about obedience, right? Uh, Giving up your own desires. And so even to the point of pouring yourself a drink, you have to wait till you're given the blessing to have 
wine. We just like we yeah, started we just, pouring ourselves glasses of wine. <laughs> I mean to I mean and like yeah, there's it was a bit strange first of all to drink wine at all in silence. That just seems I, wrong to me. Yeah. But uh the point of what I really loved was was there was something very striking about eating a meal together with a whole bunch of people silently listening to someone read the scripture. Mm-hmm. And there was something about having this fellowship meal uh together uh like where and and being mindful of the scripture that is being read as we as we eat and there was something really beautiful about that and, and the solemnity of that. Um, and there was something beautiful about the really cold 3 a.m. morning service where I could barely stand up. I remember I was falling asleep in, in the service because you're having I, a hard time. I, I, I mean, I was having a hard time and I'm somewhat used to those services, but you haven't really been coming to too many services. And then all of a sudden you're thrust in, up in the middle of the night, <laughs> told to go down and stand for three and a half hours going through something that you don't even understand in a language that I don't understand. If, wasn't it in Greek? Uh, it's mostly in English at that time. But. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. No, you're right. It was in English. Uh, yeah. So, so um, how did we get here again? How, we, how did we talk about this? Oh, Radic- it doesn't matter. Oh, Radic- uh, it's, I, I had a question about whether... Oh, right. Where, where does your radical reforming DNA come from? Is that something that came from your family or is that something that came from your faith background or, or what? Yeah, certainly from faith. Certainly from faith. Certainly not from family. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's another, that's another whole can of worms. I think we can save that for another time. Sure. Uh, but yeah, like I, I think... I mean, I guess it would be just like fundamentally how I understand Jesus. Like what mm. I think Jesus did and like what his ministry in the New Testament represents is radical, uh, you know, disassembly and and uh, tearing down of of institutions literally and figuratively right like mm-hmm. I will tear this temple down and build it again in three days right is both a metaphor and not at all because it happened mm-hmm. yeah um and and literally caused like you know the splitting of of the little Christs from from the Judaistic tradition right like mm-hmm. um and so I just, I find it difficult. Frankly, I, I would probably challenge anyone who is engaging in a faith that doesn't look like what Jesus was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess if we want to get into, this is a good segue into why I'm not an Orthodox Christian. Like, I think I actually have lots of good reasons. Like, I love the liturgy. I love it. It's so good. It's like St. John Chrysostom was, was clearly blessed when he was writing that. And uh, I love the way the North American church is moving towards adapting its, it, the, the, the service to serve the needs of North American people, whether it's in the tones chosen or the, you know, the different ad- adaptations that can happen. I've, I've heard different, like you and other priests talk about that. Um, and, and I love, I mean, I love the movement away from the ethnic, uh, Orthodox church to a North American church. Like, I think that represents significant, like, like, uh, ability to speak to the North American experience. Um, 
I just don't think I could ever join it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so what are some, so you mentioned a bunch of like positive aspects. What yeah. are some of those positive aspects that you sort of wish you could smuggle into <laughs> like the oh, tradition you're man. in? Oh, uh, I like wish if, I, I if wish had, I could if you had smuggle. Your choice. I, like the biggest thing that I would want to steal from the Orthodox Church is is just people shutting up, and like and like because there's there's this like thing in the Orthodox Church where it's like you're part of this big tradition that is so much bigger than you, and sometimes just let yourself be carried along by the by the by the or by the tradition by the the prayers of the saints by um by this thing that we've been doing forever and there's a certain element of like just stop all like like what i feel when i some sometimes not all the time but what i feel when i come to an uh, uh a liturgy is like you like you can be carried along by this thing and th- and there's a grace in that that you can be you can just sit here and experience. You don't need to fight and battle and and get into all this stuff. Like the liturgy has everything it needs in in it, and you may want to do other things and you may want to express other things, but you can just be carried along, and we can add some little things to 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 say the things that we need to say. Um, and with that is kind of that attitude of, um. There's this thing that isn't us that let's all just submit to that for now, right? Like, let's all be obedient to the faith that we've inherited from others. And uh, let's, like, be reverent to what has been passed on to us and, and the blood that it costs to get it to us. Right. Like I think there's a great level of solemnity and respect for that idea in the Orthodox Mm -hmm. church. Mm -hmm. Can you, so we're going to go to soon I'm going to ask you what you want to change about orthodoxy. Uh, But uh, before we do that, let's keep on this line, which would be what aspects of uh, what aspects of your own tradition right now are the ones that frustrate you? (laughs) <laughs> honestly it's just when people are not being Mennonites that's like because I, I've said this before to you but like I think men, when Mennonites are being good Mennonites and when Orthodox people are being good Orthodox people I think I see very very little dividing us I see so much uh, uniting those traditions like they may they may disagree on when to get baptized and uh, on on the details of sacrament but the the heart and the mission and the vision seems to be the same. This kind of intentional, um, more radical lifestyle that is affected by a rad- by a submission to God and a, and a living out of being like Jesus. Like that's what I see in in very much in like the monastic tradition, and and therefore the tradition that that orthodoxy shows. Um, I think the trouble just (laughs) comes for everyone when people are, are not really doing what they, the tradition is trying to set out to do. Um, so for, for us in, for as Mennonites in particular, um, 
want to be specific in the way I say these things. Uh, there are a lot of people who want our tradition. I, and I can't really describe why, because there's lots of different people, but there's a lot of people who, for whom they just want to be, you know, uh, fundamentalist conser- conservative evangelicals. They don't really want to be Anabaptists. They don't really want to hold on to the things that make us who we are. They kind of just want to join that sort of generic Christian evangelical pool and welcome all the baggage that comes with that. Well, it comes um, with a lot of a lot of like material that's ready made, right? Yeah, a lot of material, a lot of very charismatic leaders, a lot of um, m- like large churches in America that are there that are these things are based out of, so people feel a sort of legitimacy for that. Um, especially in Mennonite, in the Mennonite tradition, we like small local congregations. You're not going to get out of that mod like that's an intentional model and you're not going to get the big booming mega church ultra charismatic pastor type experience out of like a mennonite church functioning as intended in my opinion uh but uh yeah i mean there's something sleek there's something attractive about that type of christianity and uh, I mean, then I think there's just a whole bunch of problems with the North American church in general that we fall into, like prosperity gospel, um, you know, individual, individual, over individualizing faith as opposed to understanding faith as being part of a community, uh, the, the saved community. That's a language that the Orthodox church would be very familiar with. Um, uh, a hyper focus on moralization as opposed to uh, a complete and holistic like living out of the coming of the kingdom. That's also language the Orthodox Church would love uh, and is very liturgical. I read that book, that booklet that um, the that uh, was produced by uh, your church in uh, Toronto that you serve at sometimes. Oh, the... Um Enacting the kingdom to come. Yes, enacting or, the kingdom me, to I come. Have it. Enacting the age to come, the yes. divine liturgy. Yes. Who wrote that again? Well, it's it's the text of the divine liturgy with commentary, narrative commentary. So not not just talking about like the historical reasons, but actually like the narrative trajectory of, of the service put together by Father Jeffrey Reddy, who will be yes. on this podcast, and I podcast with him specifically about the Orthodox liturgical services on our podcast, yeah. enacting. The kingdom, so I have a copy which is of the, our, our, our and, plug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Check out that podcast. You can go look it up right now. Um, and yeah, well, not so, right now so, we're recording a podcast. Oh, right, right, right. So people are listening the, to yeah. you. So they can look it up while they listen. That's fine. Sure. Um, yeah. So like, like I think, I think, and that's another thing that is that is again. I'm back to positive that I'm very attracted to with the Orthodox Church is is it is Eastern Orthodoxy. It doesn't carry the same baggage that the Western church, you know, of its kind, which would be the, the, you know, the Roman Catholic church. It doesn't carry the same, um, what I would call like, uh, um, how to put it properly. It doesn't carry the same philosophical baggage. That's what I'll put. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly, I think that the Western church has become infe- infected with, uh, largely like Greek and, and, and post Greek, like Roman, 
uh, theological categories are like very much affected the Western church's way of thinking about God period. And I don't think that East, I think that Eastern Orthodoxy comes at, at God himself from a much more, I mean, I, I guess this might be controversial to say, but I think a much more like Trinitarian manner, like the Orthodox church is again, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't so much interested in God in terms of philosophical categories. Like, um, the Western church would love to say things like, um, omnipotent, um, you know, um, um, uh, sorry, omnipotent, omniscient, perfectly benevolent. These like, those are Greek philosophical categories for God. Right. And I think that it, correct me if I'm wrong. The Orthodox church is far more interested in father, son, and Holy spirit and the Trinity one in essence. And, you know, like that, that more apostolic confessional way of understanding the yeah. who God is fundament on a fundamental level. Is that true? Yeah, well, I, to a point, I, I think that the Western Church is just as interested in the categories of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, oh yeah, I, sorry. I, think, I guess I guess yeah. That I made it sound like they're not. I, I right. I'm saying that there's bad that that's baggage that they're adding on. Yeah. So so in the so the Eastern Orthodox Church developed in what was then just the Eastern part of the world because they didn't, of course think about asia whatsoever uh but if you, if you imagine like greece uh you know what is now modern day russia ukraine uh then you go down into like the middle east right you go yep. to syria today and if you're a christian you're likely some form of orthodox christian right. um then egypt ethiopia ethiopia is one of the oldest christian countries in the world yep um and and that's why i always find it funny when like certain evangelical missionaries go to like Ethiopia. <laughs> it's like the gospel has been there forever. The, man. the Ethiopian church has existed for like a millennium longer, at least oh, probably, than evangelicalism. Uh, oh, way longer than that, dude. Do you remember the Ethiopian eunuch? <laughs> oh yeah. And so like that's, so, that's first uh, century. So orthodoxy developed in the, that, in that Eastern part of the world, which was much closer to like the Semitic way of thinking. And it, it had, it just developed in like a different soup than, yeah, than yeah. what happened in medieval uh, Europe with scholasticism and things like that. It's not to say that orthodoxy doesn't have these Greek philosophical terms. No, it, cer it, just, it certainly it, does. There, there are certain ways in which the East developed in very different ways than, than the West did. Yeah, and I, and I think... It is also, if I can, again, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but in Eastern Orthodoxy, it's also much easier to make appeals to those fundamental things behind, like, like to get, it's easier to make appeals to those traditions because like the Desert Fathers and a lot of these other traditions that are appealed to when making arguments in the Orthodox Church, they are intensely focused always on Trinitarianism. Um, with you know some degree of variance, right? There's the, the, a big a big concern in the early centuries is who is Jesus Christ, right? And and the understanding being that we can only understand who God is through Jesus Christ. Yeah, and as much as we understand Christ, so so it it, it would be wrong to start with a sort of a transcendent God. Let's figure that out. Then we'll figure Jesus out. Like that is completely backwards. 
Yeah. That you start with the Jesus you meet in the gospel. And, and I think uh, the, the language that modern uh, Anabaptists would use for that is called cr- uh, a Christocentric uh, approach or a Christocentric theology or mm-hmm. a Christocentric um, hermeneutic, if we're talking mm-hmm. about how we interpret the Bible. Um, and I find those things to be present in orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. That it is very, it seems to me, and by by many accounts and among many different people who are not you, that uh, it is an easy criticism to make in orthodoxy that if someone is doing something and not doing things Christocentrically, Christologically, um, because even the, the the liturgy itself, everything about the Orthodox worshiping life is Christocentric and cruciform, right. and uh, like, <laughs> like this is where uh, this is where Orthodox people can sometimes be talking, like not be communicating properly with, let's say, certain people from Protestant denominations, especially when talking about why we have festivals to celebrate aspects of the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Right. Right. Like, why do we celebrate the birth of Mary or why do we celebrate the death of Mary or why do we celebrate whatever it is about Mary? And the, the Orthodox answer is because it's not about Mary. Yeah. It's like, about Christ. We, we, we don't have Marian doctrine. We don't have Mariology. We have Christology. <laughs> That's good. That's funny. Mariology. That's a thing. Wait, what? Yeah, it's like the field of theology relative to Mary. It's like we just uh, don't have that. It's yeah. Christology. Yeah. So, and and I that is like I am uninterested in any tradition that is doing stuff that isn't Christology. Mm-hmm. Like I and and if the when my tradition begins doing things that is not Christology, I'm not interested. When your tradition does things that's not Christology, I'm not interested because I I believe very much the the Christian axiom, which is that all we can know about God is revealed through Christ. There is nothing that can be said of God that cannot be said of Christ. If you say something of Christ or of God, they have to be the same. Um, and. That is such a fundamental conviction to me that, like, that is always where my problems with any tradition come. If you'd like to listen to the second half of this interview, you can head over to patreon.com slash priest. Your support is what makes this podcast possible. Thanks for listening. Say, why would you look outside yourself when you have all of the world inside?